Heavenly Father, God of love, God of mercy, God of truth, God of everything that we know, our great God, who is beyond good to us, our great God who is enthroned, who is enthroned above our sickness, who is enthroned above the chaos of this world, who is enthroned above all of our wrongdoing. Yet you look upon us and you call us your own. Father, in this moment, in this time tonight, be honored, be glorified, Lord. Be exalted, King of Kings. Be glorified, be adored by your people here tonight, Lord. God, we just ask your word to move in power, Father. We ask your word to, to just speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, those of you that were expecting Jonathan, I'm sorry you got me. So I, uh, I was, I was, I was messing with Davey earlier, just a moment ago, and I told him that today, uh, you know, unfortunately, as Jonathan is still uh, recovering, Miss Karen's going to give us an update on Pastor Jonathan in just a little bit. Uh, but as uh, he's still out today. Uh, I was joking with Davey. I said the church got the second hands today, right? It was Davey for the senior service and me tonight. So we've, we've stooped to a new level of, of letting me be here. I'm kidding. But um, so anyways, I'm thrilled. What's interesting about this is that this is actually my first Wednesday night to actually be a part of midweek. And here we are the first time that I'm actually in here. I'm teaching. So I've been in here for parts of Wednesday night before, but I haven't ever actually got to experience them for, from beginning to end because on Wednesday nights, as you all know, I wear a lot of hats and I'm all over the campus doing all different other things. But tonight, this is where I am. So I'm excited to be with you. So. We are landing in the book of Judges. So lots of stuff happens in the book of Judges, right? So if you'll turn with me to Judges, and I want you to first turn with me, put your finger on Judges chapter 7 is where we're going to land. Judges chapter 7. While you're turning there, just let me set a little bit of a stage for you, just a little bit of a setup on uh, what we're going to talk about tonight. The book of Judges describes the unraveling of the nation of Israel. It was a turbulent time, different things going on, lots of uh, things that were going wrong. They are now living in the land that God promised them, but because of their unwillingness to drive out those who lived in the land before them, they are falling apart at the seams. Think about that. They were literally falling apart at the seams. The nation was crumbling right before them, even though they were in God's promise. Even though they had what they had been asking for, what they were wanting, things still weren't going their way because they weren't obeying the Lord. Because they simply weren't obeying the Lord. So, let me read to you Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 says, Then Jeroboam that is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. 
Lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you, or there, for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. Makes it pretty simple, right? So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by him. You shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to the water to drink. Let's stop right there. So, looking at your question, number one, as you're sitting there in your groups, um, I apologize if I kind of uh, don't do this the same way you guys are used to. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm new to this too, so I haven't been in here on a Wednesday night. But um, as we kind of look at our first question, I'm going to give you a few minutes to answer there. What reasons does God have for directing Israel to completely destroy them? In other words, what would he accomplish? What reasons does God have for directing Israel to completely destroy them? And what would he accomplish? You guys can talk about that for just a few minutes. I'm sorry? Yeah, it's a mistake on the paper. It should be judges.
special attention as you guys are discussing that special attention to chapter 7 in Deuteronomy verse 6 special attention to verse 6 in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy before we head back to Judges about 30 more seconds and then we'll maybe talk about one or two of those answers He's a jealous God. Absolutely. Anything else? Anybody else want to add to it, Laurel? Yeah. One more. Anything else? Somebody over here? To keep sin out. Good deal. So, um, Here's what I jotted down. Ultimately, this is about His holiness. Ultimately, it's about His holiness because we have to understand this. Our God is always, always, always about His holiness. And then I told you to pay special attention to verse 6. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. So number two, the second answer that we kind of can come from that is this is about his people being set apart. So if God is always about his holiness, if he's all about always about his holiness, then we always have to be about his holiness. Man, that struck me so hard as I was looking over this. If he is about his holiness, then we are to always be about his holiness. In all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we, in all the places that we go, in every interaction that we have, we are to be about His holiness because He is holy. In fact, the Bible tells us that saying holy one time isn't even enough. It says that the angels proclaim holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? So this is about His holiness. And because they don't obey this command... Their lives begin to intersect and they begin to interact with and even intermarry with these nations, as Laurel pointed out. This leads to a continual pattern found throughout the book of Judges. Number one, they disobey, failing to keep his word. Number two, God punishes his people and they suffer the consequences of their sin and rebellion. Number three, the people cry out to God for mercy and deliverance. And number four, he hears their cry and demonstrates his mercy and grace, just as we sang about tonight. They messed up. They done the wrong thing, just like you and I do every single day. But he hears our plea. He heard their cry. And he demonstrated his mercy and his grace, providing a way out. Isn't that our God? That is always our God. There is always a way out of sin when we come to the when we come to the Lord. Every time the cycle starts over, their wickedness increases. Their evil rebellion reaches another another level. But God's grace is sufficient each and every time. Every time their rebellion inches further, 
Because think of it as a child. As they grow, they test your faith, right? I have a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and then we have our special needs son who doesn't live with us, but then I have a 14-year-old as well. So there's a lot of testing boundaries in our household every each and every day. And so when I think about that, and I think about how we test our boundaries with the Lord, right? We try to sometimes see what we can get away with or what we can do on our own. It's much like what the Israelites were doing. Their rebellion reaches another level over and over again, but God's grace outweighs it every single time because that's the God that we serve. Look at your second question. Oftentimes, people describe the God of the Old Testament as a God of wrath and a God of judgment. And the God of the New Testament as the God of grace and the God of mercy. Why is this the perception? How is it wrong and how is it right? I'll give you two minutes. <laughs> two minutes. Thinking about how we just talked about how the Lord continued to reset that cycle with them, continue to see their rebellion, see their wickedness, but exercise grace and exercise mercy each and every time. This podium's wobbly, and I'm going to fall on the floor before the night's over. So when I do, y'all pick me up. So, <laughs> so yeah, that was out loud. So. Oftentimes, people describe the God of the Old Testament as a God of wrath and judgment, and the God of the New Testament as the God of grace and mercy. So let's first answer, someone answer for me, why is this the perception? Which table can answer that for me? Go for it. I just want to throw out the woman who stopped in adultery. Mm. If it was in Moses' time, she literally would have been stoned. Absolutely. So she stepped forth and said, you know, he who loves and took her step. Yeah. I think that's just a picture of at least how it's perceived. Yeah. Great example. You couldn't hear him. He was talking about the woman who was caught in adultery. Anyone else? <clears throat> in the New Testament. So how is how is it wrong and how is it right? I'm not. Uh, um, it's kind of a double-edged question, there, isn't it? 
Anybody else have an answer they want to share? Exactly, it's God, it can't be wrong. What were you going to say, Bob? We were just talking about the, uh, it was the beginning. God was saying this is how it's going to be, and people were saying that they're going to go, and that's what it's going to be. Yeah. Well, I think you hit it on the head, too, with learning experience. You've got to set up a law. Basically, you know, hey, follow my commands. But at the same time, you can't follow my commands. And then you point us towards the grace that comes to Jesus. But, anyway, sorry. No, that's perfect. It's so interesting. It's a great question. Yeah. All right. Any one more before we move on? Anybody else have an answer they want to share? All right. Thinking about the book of Judges, if there was a summary for the book of Judges, it would be chapter 21, verse 25. Judges 21, 25, and this one is right. I checked this one. Chapter 21, verse Tony, would you mind reading that aloud for me? Chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Man. Does that kind of ring true to even today a little bit? Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Especially in political culture, in the culture of our nation, in the culture of everywhere we go. People do what is right in their own eyes and don't worry about how it affects them, their children. Their, their children's children, and, and, and so on and so on. So it's, it's, uh, it echoes even today. Uh, the, the Seven Arrows says this, the book ends on a depressing note about the passage of Judges, or the book of Judges. It says, God has already told the people that they will enter the land. Notice the kings of the nations surrounding them and want one for themselves. They see the kings that everybody else has, and they want a good and shiny king just like everybody else has, because that's what they thought that they needed to be, like everyone else. But the fact of the matter is, is that they weren't like everyone else, because they were God's people. Just like we aren't like everyone else, because we're set apart, and we're made holy as He is holy. But that wasn't His plan for Him. The nation of Israel was meant to live with God as their king, to be set apart to Him and for Him. However, they live in such a way that demonstrates an ongoing willingness to submit to His sovereignty, and follow his leadership. Instead, they do what they want, and the result is, well, utter chaos. Man, can you think of a time in your life where you've done what you wanted instead of what God wanted to do, and it resulted in chaos? Because I certainly can. I certainly can. I tried to, just a short story of, of Kyle, um, there, when, when the Lord first was dealing with me about ministry, I was bound and determined that I was going to go to nursing school instead. And obviously, I don't have a nursing degree. I got to biology and realized and in anatomy that there's 300 and something bones in the face. And I didn't have time for that. So uh, if you're a nurse, more power to you because I could not pass that class. Um, anyway, so question number three. So uh, I've, I've always told people that was the Lord's punishment to me for uh, running for ministry for a little while was that anatomy test that I bombed at least three times. So. Anyways, uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 13. I'll give you a second to turn there, and I need to turn back there as well. Judges chapter 2, 
verses 6 through 13. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went to each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, served the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Heris. That's, that's close enough. In the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash, Gaosh, we'll say. And, the, and all the generation also were gathered into their fathers. Then arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So, as a little side note there, I often have my Alabama accent has a hard time pronouncing biblical names. In fact, when I was growing up in a small town church, we had a pastor who one time would go through, uh, when he was reading the Old Testament, he would come to a name like that and say, we're going to call him John and keep going. So... <laughs> So if I say we're going to call him John and keep going, you all know what I'm doing, all right? So, question number three. What does this passage tell us about Joshua's leadership and his influence in Israel? What does this passage tell us about Joshua's leadership and his influence in Israel? It talks a lot about Joshua in the beginning so of that passage. So, tell us what it means about his leadership and his influence on God's people. from a table who hasn't spoken. Which table hasn't spoken? Oh my, it's only yours. I knew that when I asked, but I just wanted to ask anyways. <laughs> so, um, what, is, what is one reason that uh, Joshua's leadership had such an influence on Israel? Thank you. 
to kind of bounce off what she said there, but as he, when he passed away, they began to turn away. It shows us the value of good leadership, right? Man, think about that. When there's a good leader, I mean, how many of you have worked for a bad boss? It, we, we've all worked for a bad boss at some point in our work life, I'm sure. And so when you, when you work for a bad boss, you're under bad leadership, it can make everything confusing, right? It makes everything just disorganized and dysfunctional. But when there's a good boss or a good leader and you have good leadership, it's it's completely different atmosphere, right? Because everything does what it's supposed to do, Karen? Are we saying that Joshua is dandy? I'm sorry? Are we saying then that Joshua was a dandy? No. Well, the people were bad listeners. The people were bad listeners, yeah, absolutely. No, 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 I'm sorry. So if you misunderstood me there, that's not what I'm saying. No, I was asking you if you've had a bad leader in your life at all. We're not saying that Joshua was a bad leader at all, but we've had a good leadership experience. Um, so thinking about that, when you think through history, question number four, who is an individual, sacred or secular, you might describe as a good leader? Sacred or secular that you might describe as a good leader? throughout our nation's history or world history. Anybody talk someone like that down? Billy Graham. Billy Graham, Martin Luther King. Those are good references. All right, what about a sacred, um, someone within the church or in scripture? Well, Jesus is number one. Points for that. Paul. Anyone else? Solomon. Billy Graham. Yeah, so when you think about that, what are the character traits that make that person an individual uh, and others like him or her a good leader? Think about, uh, let's use from the, the outside of the church, let's use the Martin Luther King Jr. reference that they said, what made him a good leader? Well, I think it was that he led by example for the most part, but he, he lived what he said. Um, he had a great vision, absolutely, and he inspired people. Now let's let's use the example from the Bible of someone like Moses. What made him a good leader? I think it's it's almost parallel, right? He had a vision. What's that? Submission. Submission to the Lord's will. Also seeking wisdom. I mean, when he went to when he was judging all of Israel, you know, they were all coming to him, and finally, his father-in-law Jethro came and said, "Look, you're." Absolutely. Yeah, it goes back to when we first uh, uh, started out the question number three. Uh, what does this passage say about Joshua's leadership and his influence on Israel and him being a good leader? 
And then I asked the question, you know, have you ever had the experience of a bad leader? Unlike Joshua, have you ever had the experience of a bad leader, maybe at work or at school or even at church or wherever it may be? We all kind of experienced a bad leader at some point in our life. Um, but when you have that good leader, the good person in charge that knows how to be in charge, for one thing, but also listens, understands, and can work with people, and, and more importantly, is submissive to the Lord, especially if it is in the, the church side of things, right? Um, then it makes for a great difference when there's good leadership in place. Um, I think we've all experienced that firsthand. So, um, someone read for me in chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. Someone want to volunteer to read that for me? Go for it. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them, then turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not do so. You said to 19? To verse 19. Okay. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groaning by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down unto them. They cease not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. So the Lord sent, gave them judges, okay? So um, I just want to point out to you briefly, if you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. Othniel was in chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. Ehud 3, 12 through 15. Shamgar was in chapter 3, verse 31. Deborah, chapter 3, 4 through 5. Gideon, chapter 6, 11 through 35. Abimech, uh, and then Talah and Jer. J-R, am I saying that right, Karen? You want, to, you want to poke me a little bit there? John. John. Yeah, John, you're right there. Caught the joke. Sorry, it took me a second. Chapter, missed my own joke there, didn't I, completely? <laughs> Chapter 10, 1 through 3. Jephthah, uh, 11. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 1 through. Chapter 12, verse 15. We see him and then uh, Elon and Abdon. Uh, 12, 8 through 15, and finally Samson, one I can say, uh, 13, 1 through 16, 31. So uh, if, you, if I spoke too fast for you, you can see me after class. I'm kidding. Uh, you, you can certainly get that list from me after uh, we're finished up there. But uh, So we see all these different judges that the Lord raised up and that the Lord sent them to, to uh, get them through this season. So turn over with me, if you will, to chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, and we're going to look down to about verse 11. Someone read 11 through 18 for me, please. Got a little bit of a throat issue going on, so I'm trying to pawn it off on you. So 11 through 18. 11 through 18. The angel of the Lord came and sat down with the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiyah's right where his son Gideon was threshing with me in a winepress to keep it from the Midianite. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. 
Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Through 17 or 18. 18. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Thank you. So, looking at your question number five, what is significant about God's calling to Gideon? What is significant about God's calling to Gideon? And then the second part of that question says, what encouragement can we find from God's choice? I'll give you three minutes to talk about that at your table. Thirty seconds, and we'll talk about some answers. It's not his logic.
All right, so as you're kind of settling down there, uh, think about that question and who, which table wants to answer for me, which table has a great thought, they think. Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall 
sat by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who left, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who left, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go, every man into his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, who retained 300. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Ah, uh, it's their first day, so. Yep. So, if you will look at question number six, how does this story continue to support the narrative of God always uh, using the smaller and the weaker in comparison? So, I'll give us one minute to think about that as we continue to think about that same narrative of the smaller, the weaker. Like a dollar, and once you know, we're excluded. 
Right. And the ones who would have been standing and using their hand to cut water into their mouths, indicating they were ready for battle, ready for song. Yeah. So that's a good thing. And I guess all I was going to say real quick was I don't know the context, the historical context of you know what made a battle ready warrior, but that could have been anything. Mm -hmm. And his whole point, I felt, was to whittle it down to 300. Here's your criteria. Look, this is what I'm saying. Anybody else? One more? Anybody else have a different thought? Alright, look over with me uh, to question number seven. Quickly summarize at your tables what you know about the story of Samson. Summarize at your tables what you know about the story of Samson. <laughs> Thirty seconds. We'll talk about our answers. Big voice. Big voice. Big voice. Ah. Oh, I'm yelling. 
bringing you mine. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. Is it working? Like a good sound, man. It is working. It's working. Okay. He, he was a Nazarite. Are you guys gonna have to help me? He was a Nazarite, um, and he was um, a little. Uh, he thought himself was very, very handsome, and he had beautiful hair, which was never supposed to be cut, which that was his strength. Or that's assignments that he had that uh, he had this beautiful hair that was never supposed to be cut. Um, he was good with riddles because he had little stories that he told and figured out what the answer was. Uh, for somebody else to figure out what the answer was. Um, what else? He what, Mary? Oh, Mary says he loved women. <laughs> yes, he wanted a wife from the Philistines, but the parents said no, and he insisted and really got himself in trouble. What else? Oh, yeah, he succumbed to Delilah. She figured out, she got him to tell her what was the secret of his strength. And then, of course, he had too much to drink when that one was. He had too much to drink and passed out. She cut all his hair off. And then he was taken captive. And strength didn't come back until he was in the, this big room. And he had, his arms were up on two. Now, see, I need two. <laughs> <laughs> his arms was like that, tied to two pillars, and he prayed. He never really got his strength back like he had it, but he asked the Lord to give him one more chance, and he did. And he pulled the pillars down, and 3,000 people were killed as the roof came in on top of him. Good Is that it? Yeah, good summary. Okay. Good summary. All right, so quickly turn over with me to chapter 16, verse 21. Chapter 16, verse 21 through 30. And I'd like a volunteer to read 16, 21 through 30. Anyone? All right, I got a volunteer right over here. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with feathers of grass and he did grind in the prison. Albeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaken. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice to thy one, their God, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy. And the story of our country, which killed many of us. And it came to pass when the hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us poor. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made his court, and they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all of the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about three thousand men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me. I pray you to strengthen me. I pray you only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on which it was born of the one with his right hand and the 
All right, thank you. So look at number, question number eight. Question number eight. What lesson is this passage teaching its audience? What lesson is this passage teaching its audience? Give you guys about a minute to answer that at your table. share with me what they at their table what your group uh, believes that this passage is teaching its audience anybody come to an answer yet you guys are still in serious debate don't all jump at once what lesson is this passage teaching its audience settings like like tonight is that we we've kind of learned from each other you know we learn from what other people are thinking and uh, what the Lord's sharing with them and so Samson did not accomplish his overall mission to deliver the people rather he died a frail example of what happens when we give into temptation um, and so um, kind of as we kind of get ready to wrap up uh, look back with me to chapter 21 verse 25 chapter 21 verse 25 we said this was kind of the summary of the book of Judges and the last, uh, the very last sentence. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes or his own eyes. 
Question number nine, what is the big picture problem with everyone doing what is right in his or her own eyes? I want to do that. Yeah. problem with everyone doing what they think is right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, one example that comes to my mind is kind of a funny example, but it kind of applies in this situation too. How many of you know of the comedian? I'm going to be really quick because we're going to have a short prayer time when I finish up here. But um, I thought it'd be super short, but apparently I'm a little bit longer, so sorry. Um, if uh, how many of you know the Christian comedian Mark Lowry? He sometimes sings sings for the Gaithers. So uh, one of his funniest things I think he's ever done uh, was he walked into this huge room. He was at a show in somewhere out in Texas, I think, and he walked into this theater of you know tens of thousands of people. And he starts going, how many of you are Baptist? And how many of you are Pentecostal? And how many of you are Church of Christ? And how many are, and he stops and he says, just think, somebody's wrong. Somebody is wrong because everybody thinks that they're doing what is right, but somebody's wrong. And, and so he was making a joke out of how, uh, you know, everyone thinks that what they're doing is right, but the reality is, is that someone is wrong, right? And so we, we stick to God's word ultimately. And so... Lastly, question number 10, it says, what tools and resources has God given us to help us avoid that problem of always doing what is right in our own eyes? I think it goes back to the, the good leadership, right? God appoints good leadership. God gives us his word. God gives us direct communication with him. Uh, God gives us, uh, what would you say? Holy the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, his direction. Um, I tell the students this all the time when I teach there. I probably say it literally every Wednesday night that I teach in the students that Christianity isn't a list of do's and don'ts. When you know the Lord Jesus, you know what is right. When you know the Lord Jesus, you know what is right and wrong, and you want to do what is right because you want to please your Father. You want to please the Lord. And so that Holy Spirit indwelling within us. So I'm going to wrap up our study, formal study time together tonight, and I'm going to ask Miss Karen to come and give us a quick update on Pastor Jonathan, and then we're going to close out in a time of prayer this evening. So. I don't know where the microphone went, but I can, that's all right. I, I can talk loud enough to do this. Uh, I have a very large mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk very loud while we're doing this. I talked to Jonathan this evening, and... Uh, he said to tell everybody he went today and had another COVID test. He tested negative on it, so the whole family is good. He'll be back in the office tomorrow, and he'll be here with us in worship on Sunday. He didn't come today because he's trying to observe the complete 10 days that the CDC recommends, and so he felt like they would just take the whole 10 days. And so today is day 10. He'll be back in the office, as I said, tomorrow, and back with us in worship on Sunday. But he's doing great. He has never, ever, ever in the whole 10 days been sick. So he had a COVID test that was positive, but was never, ever sick. So God's good and God's faithful. Amen. 
Amen, church. Well, let me just lead us in a time of prayer tonight. I'm going to uh, just start us off in prayer, and then you guys just continue to bow your heads and close your eyes as we continue to just lift up a few things as I call out this evening as we just pray together over our last uh, five or six minutes here together tonight. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this beautiful day that you made, Lord. Father, we come to you, and we just uh, we honor you with your word tonight. We honor you with uh, all that we say and do. And Father, we do thank you for Pastor Jonathan being healthy, Lord. Father, the reality is, is that this disease, it is serious. And Father, it is it has changed our lives and it has changed so many things, Lord, but hope is still alive. And Father, you are the author of hope. But Father, we again, we just thank you, Lord, for, for protecting our pastor and his family from the, the, the just harmful side of this disease and the, the sickness, Father. Father, we thank you for your protection upon our church as we went through this season. Father, we thank you for your provisions as we went through this season, Lord. Father, right now we just come to you, Lord, and we just want to take a few moments just to specifically pray for our pastor and his family as they return to some normalcy over the next few days. We'll just take just a few moments to quietly pray, Lord, to just lift up Pastor Jonathan. praying for Pastor Jonathan, I just want you to take just a moment and continue to pray for all of our staff here at First Baptist in the Atlantic. I'm just going to say their names aloud as you continue to just pray. I want you to lift them up and lift up their families. We, we have Davey, his wife Sarah. Stephen Bond works with our finances. Becky Blackstone works in our preschool. Bill Blackstone works on facilities. Angela Brock works as a finance associate. Kathy Keenum runs our office. Susan Laurel works as our financial secretary. Karen, our minister of discipleship. Andrea, children's and worship associate. Steve Miller works with our students. Sean and his family cleans our church. Tammy, our hospitality coordinator. Jonathan Schroer, a worship associate, Scott and his wife, Donna, Laura, and the others that volunteer and make part, make our church what it is. Father, we just come to you and we lift them all up. So we take just a few moments just to pray for protection, to pray for faithfulness, to pray for boldness. God, to pray for direction. Father, the word that you continue to lay upon my heart to pray for our church's revival, Lord. Father, we come to you tonight, Lord. Lord, we ask you just for that, Lord. Father, I know that that starts within each and every one of us. 
Father, it starts with each and every one of us sharing about who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. And each and every one of us knows someone that needs you so desperately, Lord. Father, just as I said that I am convinced that every person under the sound of my voice had a name that came to their mind. So in this moment, I just want you to, to just pray for that individual, pray for that name. You might even want to call it out loud so that others can pray for that name. But in this moment, we bring these people before you, Lord, and we humbly pray, earnestly pray for their salvation, Lord. Father, again, we thank you for being the great God of love. Father, we thank you for being the God who has provided, the God who is providing, and the God who will always provide. Father, we come to you and we just ask that, that your will would be done in this place. Father, as we depart tonight, as we go our separate ways, as we finish out our work weeks, our school weeks, and the chaos of, of, of what this week may bring, Lord, may you be the center of our lives. May you be the center of our attention. Father, may you receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise from everything that we say, everything that we do. Father, when we fail you over this week, Lord, I pray that your grace would find us right there, Lord. That you would clothe us in your grace, that you would clothe us in your righteousness, Lord, and that you would let it be known that we are your people. That you would let it be known that we love the Lord Jesus. That you would let it be known that we are the redeemed. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you. Thank you.